Good day, everyone, and welcome to New Matter, the SLAS podcast where we interview life science luminaries. I'm your host, Liz Frank, the SLAS program manager. Today, we have Colin Cox, Director of Automation at Sear Bio. Hey, Colin, how are you doing today? I'm great, Liz. How are you? Pretty good. I'm excited. Today, we are chatting with Stefan Spangenberg. He is a graduate student at the Scripps Research Institute and was a student poster award winner at the SLAS Europe 2021 Digital Conference and Exhibition. Welcome, Stefan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you. So we're going to kick us off with the SLAS challenge of describing your day-to-day work or your research in 10 words or less. Do you think you can do it? Uh, yeah, I do phenotypic screening to identify pathways and compounds regulating immune function. All right. Nice job. It's like we tipped you off or something on what that challenge is going to be. All right. Do you think for those of us that are maybe not as familiar with your area of focus, you could explain in a little more detail of what that means? Yes. So our lab, Rice's lab at research, we do uh, a lot of type of phenotypic screens. So that's compound screens on cells where we're looking for a change in cell phenotype, such as expression of a protein without a pre-known protein target, so target agnostic. So we find compounds that are active in our biological model of interest, and then um, from there, figure out what the target is and, you know, ideally discover new biology. Um, And I specifically work a lot on regulation and expression of immune checkpoint proteins, such as PDL1. So I do a lot of flow cytometry screens to find compounds which affect PDL1 cell surface expression. PDL1 is very important to cancer immunology. Then once we have a compound, basically try and figure out the mechanism of how it works and kind of just see where that leads us. PD1 and PDL1 are, are very hot topics in the cancer immunology field right now. Could you help us understand a little bit more why they are such a large focus? Yeah, absolutely. So PD1 is a receptor expressed on T cells and other immune cells. PDL1 is the ligand to that receptor that's expressed on tumor cells as well as a lot of healthy cells as well. And basically, the PD1 PDL1 interaction helps determine the extent of immune activation when a uh, T cell, for example, is triggered initially by the uh, T cell receptor. So when a T cell recognizes its target antigen, whether or not it proceeds to activate and basically start killing other cells is determined by the PD-1, PD-L1 interaction, you know, or lack thereof. So put sort of more simply, PD-L1 is a defense mechanism that tumor cells can use to defend themselves from the host immune system. So um, inhibiting PD-1 or PD-L1 basically makes tumor cells vulnerable to the patient's uh, immune system and allows T cells to clear out a tumor. And, and this is quite compelling because it allows uh, the body's own immune system to kind of fight the cancer off rather than having to rely on these anti-cancer drugs. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been a huge breakthrough in cancer treatment. I mean, the Nobel Prize, I think, of 2018 or recently was awarded for immunotherapy. So it is, I think, really revolutionary revolutionizing rather cancer treatment in a lot of respect. Wow. Thanks for that. So you, you said that you've used a, an automation system to do this kind of high throughput phenotyping 
uh, of activation. Is that right? Yeah. So we uh, so we're an academic lab, so we have a you know relatively uh, simple setup compared to the sort of big pharma screening setup. Uh, but we also have worked with Caliber, uh, California Institute for Biomedical Research, which is a division of Script Research, and they really focus on sort of drug development in a nonprofit or academic setting. And their uh, expertise and setup allowed us to complete the screen of 200,000 compounds. And they work on a bunch of projects and collaborate with uh, different labs and scripts. They recently did a bunch of screens for uh, antiviral compounds to potentially fight COVID. Yeah, so that allowed us to do this type of high throughput screen. Wow, that's very fascinating. How long did it take you to screen 200,000 compounds for a phenotypic readout? So a lot of the screen for this project was actually done before I came onto the project, but I believe it took about uh, the better part of a year to get through all the compounds. It was done sort of in, in stages of probably, like a, probably about 10 plates at a time, so over the course of around a year. And there was also a screen of 800,000 compounds with a uh, luciferous reporter done as well. So that uh, allowed us to narrow down compounds that were then done in the flow cytometry screen. And working with your colleagues at CalPERS and Scripps there, what, what all did you find at the end of that journey? So we found a, a number of hit compound classes, some of which we're still kind of unpacking. But uh, what my work focused on was HSP90 inhibitors. So HSP90 inhibitors are a class of compounds which have been uh, studied in the clinic quite extensively. I believe it's been over 170 clinical trials using HSP90 inhibitors. However, all of these trials have not led to any FDA approvals, and all of them basically failed due to some combination of dose-limiting toxicities or uh, limited efficacy. And all of these trials focus on the cytotoxic effect of HSP90 inhibitors. So HSP90 is a, a chaperone, which helps stabilize an old proteins, and it's a central hub of cancer signaling. There's over 400 known um, HSP90 clients which are involved in cancer cell signaling. Um, so the goal of all these trials was to inhibit the signaling hub, hub and directly kill cancer cells. But basically what we found was that by treating with uh, sub-cytotoxic doses of HSP90 inhibitors, you could inhibit pdl one expression on uh, cancer cells and pay, like healthy patient cells as well potentially, and uh, basically trigger an immune response in combination with existing uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor antibodies, and that, yeah, this could lead to uh, in vivo anti-cancer efficacy. So you took this realization of how heat shock protein 90 works and how it acts as a chaperone in this uh, immunological pathway, uh -huh. and then um, you found some inhibitors, right, that you just mentioned that, that were, you know, toxic at, uh, or at least were not toxic at, at clinical levels. How did those experiments go, and, and how did you illustrate that this was a real hit and that it made a difference? So we found a number of... Uh, HSP90 inhibitors that inhibited PDL1 expression. And one thing that was sort of a um, reassuring fact was that structurally diverse inhibitors, all of which are known to inhibit HSP90, all had a similar effect. So there are HSP90 inhibitors that are like natural product derived as well as later synthetic ones. 
So because all of these diverse HSP90 inhibitors essentially work the same, felt confident that it was an on-target effect. And we uh, decided to focus on Gennetisbib because Gennetisbib has had the most clinical experiments done with it and has the most favorable safety profile. Um, so yeah, we basically established that these inhibitors reduce pdl one expression at the mRNA total protein and cell surface level. Uh, and from there, we were able to move into some in vivo experiments uh, using a Syngenae mouse tumor model. So that's a model where the tumor cells are from the same genetic background as the mouse, um, meaning that the mice have a competent immune system, unlike some other like xenograft models. Um, and we found that the same effect of HSP90 inhibitors reducing pdl one expression also occurred on the tumor cells in vivo. Um, yeah, and this led to a reduction in tumor growth. Wow, fascinating story. And so you you presented this at the uh, 2021 European Conference and, and won the poster award. Congratulations. Fantastic poster. I, I really enjoyed reading it. And the, the mouse model part where you saw how well uh, that the um, uh, inhibitor kept from the tumors from progressing was very compelling. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, exciting to see. Uh, sorry, Liz, I just went down a, si a <laughs> little uh, hole there. I apologize. I, a science mouse hole instead of a rat hole. No, it's all good. <laughs> you know, I really enjoyed hearing all that, but I'm kind of curious, Stefan, why did you decide to kind of focus on this area of research? Is there a particular thing that kind of led you to this, you know, area of interest or was it an, an opportunity came through and you you took it and, and are running with it? Uh, yeah, so I first kind of became interested in screening and developing phenotypic screens uh, when I, before grad school, when I worked at a company called Stomonics, which now I believe is a part of BioNBio. And there we were working on developing uh, screening models from human iPSCs, and I worked on basically turning iPSCs into functioning cardiomyocytes and using this to develop uh, screening platforms. And I found that the uh, challenges and opportunities that came with that were very interesting. So uh, that kind of led me to the lab I am now at in grad school. And then working in the sort of immuno-oncology area was appealing just because it's such a sort of exciting, relatively new and rapidly developing area of biology. Like you said, it's new, it's evolving. We've had a lot of people come onto the podcast who are working in this field. So obviously there's there's a lot of really cool research going on. Is there a particular, you know, path you would want to follow down or continue on this or somewhere you're excited about the opportunity to work or would love to work with in the future? Yeah, there's a lot of exciting directions. I mean, I think one of the... Uh, one thing that a lot of people are working on in addition to our lab is to actually have a small molecule immune checkpoint inhibitor, an inhibitor of PD-1, PD-L1, or other immune checkpoints. Um, so that's something that I'm very interested in because all current clinically approved immune checkpoint inhibitors are antibodies. They're an antibody against PD-1, PD-L1, CTLA-4, or the like. And while antibodies have a lot of advantages, they have, um, some disadvantages such as their long half-life in the body can make it difficult to control uh, adverse events. They may have poor tissue penetrance um, and they also are relatively difficult to manufacture and distribute. So I think, uh, yeah, working on a small molecule that does that could recapitulate or build upon the success of these 
antibody phase inhibitors is a really exciting area for our lab and for uh, you know, a lot of people in the field. Stephen, you bring some great points, especially relating to, you know, penetrance, permanence in the in the body, uh, and point out some great ways that small molecules are advantageous. Sometimes they have the, the feeling that they're harder to screen, especially from solubility issues. Do you have any experience there for people who are a little behind you on your expertise uh, and who are new to screening? Do you have any advice either specifically to screening small molecules or just to getting into the automation and screening in general? Yeah, I think our lab, uh, we have a, a good mix of uh, chemists and biologists that really help us address issues with solubility and uh, and other sort of actual, the actual chemistry, uh, which isn't really my main area. Uh, as far as screening goes, I think that uh, I would just say that um, as technology, kits, instruments has continued to improve, it's become more feasible to do compound screening for uh, like basic biology academic labs in a way that hasn't always been feasible. So I would, I guess, just encourage people to consider compound screening as a tool in whatever their research area is, sort of not be afraid of it. I mean, you know, people don't always realize that you can do flow cytometry experiments and screening in 384 role plates, for example. We published a protocol basically breaking down how we did our screen to try and uh, promote this to anyone who's interested. So I would just say, yeah, don't don't be afraid to embrace power of compound screens. Beautifully stated. Well said. I feel like that needs to be the title of the podcast and by embrace the power. <laughs> I love it. I think that's a good title. <laughs> Kind of, I mean, you've talked about a lot of the research that you guys have done over the last couple of years between your lab and what you've been focusing on in particular. Is there, you know, a particular moment in the research that you found particularly exciting, you know, the most exciting experience you've had? Yeah, so it may be a bit obvious, but publishing this paper recently was very exciting because it was my first code first author paper of my PhD. And it was a culmination of like a lot of work by a lot of people. And I guess more generally, just when you are doing a screen, you know, when you see that hit come up, I thought it was a very exciting moment. And uh, yeah, it can be a real thrill. We'll have to get that paper from you so that uh, we can we can link to it in the podcast notes so our audience can read it. Definitely want to share that with everyone. Absolutely. What journal can we Great. find that in, Stephanie? It's in Cell Chemical Biology. I know Wonderful. I should be hurt that you didn't publish with SLES, but congratulations anyway on uh, on publishing <laughs> your first paper. That's really exciting. Thanks. Yeah, next time. I'm going to hold to it. <laughs> <laughs> Was this a European conference the first SLS meeting you've attended? Uh, it's the first one that I presented at, but I've gone to a few of the uh, main SLES conferences in the ones that have been in San Diego. And I went to the one in January right before the pandemic. And uh, yeah, it was very exciting. Absolutely. When you go to SALS, who are you most excited to collaborate with? Really just anyone I can talk to, really. Anyone in the like phenotypic screening, uh, immuno-oncology, if anyone's working on like chaperones or HSP-90 in particular. I also, I don't work as much with stem cells anymore, but... With some of my background there, I always love seeing, talking to people developing like 3D models, organoids, and the like IPS C-derived models. I always think that's very exciting. I do think we'll see 3D organoids for some time to come. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, the SLA's 2022 conference is going to be in Boston next year. We'll be in uh, San Diego in 2023. But I know that we have a lot of um, a lot of programming around that. You haven't already submitted a paper for it to present. But, you know, it, it's really nice to hear that you attend the conferences, especially kind of as you work your way up your, your career from, you know, undergrad to grad levels and stuff. If you were at one of the events and you're meeting with these younger generation scientists, you know, students who are still in the undergrad level or even some high schoolers that we bring in and are looking into getting into the kind of field that you are in, what advice have you got for them? You know, what tips would you give them to to make sure that they can really succeed and thrive? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, so, I mean, I really like the lab that I'm in now. I would say that to anyone at the sort of really early stage of your career, as you're looking for a lab to work in as an undergrad or as you go into grad school, I would just recommend that people really uh, focus on finding a lab that's a good fit for them in terms of like mental style, the size of the lab, the environment, and your coworkers, uh, because people may not initially realize that that can be as important or more important than the scientific theme of the lab. So I would say just, uh, you know, really trying to find a lab that fits you uh, as a person as well as scientifically. That's really good advice. I don't think I, I wouldn't have thought of the fact that you want to take the other aspects into consideration besides the research they're focusing on. Really great advice. And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, especially when you're in that environment for so many years and in close quarters, uh, having <laughs> yes. great colleagues and an advisor that you gel with is, is um, paramount. Well, we're kind of coming to the end of our time with you today, Stefan. But before we finish, is there anything, you know, additional you would want to share with our audience? Any of the, you know, research that you're doing now or upcoming research that you're focusing on? Anything in particular you want to, you want to let us know that you're doing? Um, yeah, so right now we're working on a project uh, in a similar area, but focusing on a similar area, meaning uh, to do with immune checkpoint regulation and, uh, yeah, to do with immune checkpoint regulation, but focusing on metabolism and the role of endogenous metabolites in the expression of these proteins. Uh, yeah, we're working on kind of wrapping up a big project in that area, which hopefully will elucidate an interesting mechanism linking amino acid sensing to immune checkpoint expression and function. So uh, yeah, hopefully that will be uh, concluded soon. So look out for that, I guess. We'll look forward to it. Maybe that'll be near our next presentation at one of our future conferences. All right. Well, we're out of time today. So I want to thank Colin very much for stepping in, being my guest host. And then also Stefan for, for coming on and sharing the work you're doing. It was really cool to hear about it. And hopefully uh, after hearing this podcast, more of our listeners will check out your work that's going on right now. 